At my high school, the only thing we learn in sex ed is how to put a condom on a banana and the pull-out method. I don't know what the two have to do with each other. My name is Hannah and I'm a sexual health doctor with a particular interest in contraception, reproductive rights and sexual health education. On today's episode, we're talking about contraception. And now if we were to imagine the perfect contraceptive, it would be 100% effective, 100% safe, 100% reversible and 100% side effect free. And sadly, it doesn't exist. (laughs) When it comes to contraception, finding the best option for you is all about assessing your individual situation, your past experiences, your preferences, your future plans and your medical history. Going to see your doctor about contraception can be a bit overwhelming. There's a lot to discuss in what can be a very short amount of time. So it's great if you can have a bit of an understanding of the basics before you go and discuss your specific situation. On today's episode, we're looking at contraception in quite a broad sense. Later in the series, we'll be releasing episodes that focus on each type of contraception individually in a bit more detail. So if your questions aren't answered today, please keep listening because they might be answered in a future episode. So joining me today to answer some of these questions around contraception is Greta. Welcome, Greta. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining me. And Greta, you're a GP based in New Zealand. Yes. Can you tell the listeners a bit about what you do and that kind of thing? Absolutely, yeah. So um, I have been working as a GP for the last five or six years, but I actually originally started as a family planning doctor. And I just really have a great interest in women's health and sexual health and reproductive health. Um, But I was sort of starting to see that a lot of women um, were coming forward and not really knowing what options were out there, not knowing much about their bodies. And I just found that there was quite a big gap of information that was factual and truthful. And I think maybe something to do with the sex education at school is not very consistent and so um, that's when I started to think about what, what I could do to get behind it. So um, I'm currently in the process of starting a small blog up, which is about um, teaching women about their bodies to empower them to like, love themselves, make great choices and make choices that they're comfortable with. So, and a lot of that is around contraception. So, yeah. And a lot of your content is very beautiful, which <laughs> I, I don't know, it's like anything on the internet. It's so much more accessible if it's pretty and nice to look at, I find, and your stuff is so nice. Oh, I actually downloaded you. your ebook about oh. the premenstrual uh, yes. symptoms. It's really nice, yeah. Oh, so you. if anyone's listening and interested, it's yes. Woman so the Be blog kind. is called womanbekind.com um, and uh, that is due to be- go live in February should... Um, it be before or after then that you hear this. Um, and also, if you look up at Women Be Kind on Facebook or Instagram, I'm on there and I do all my own illustrations and things like that. So hopefully there's something interesting or helpful there. And there is a free ebook um, to download on premenstrual hormonal symptoms and natural ways to deal with those. So welcome to have a look I at that too. That's great. And so I imagine with all of this kind of experience that you have and what you're doing at the moment, contraception is something that you're probably dealing with quite regularly. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. It's probably Mm. my bread and butter, actually. It's the Mm. one thing I do the most of. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like as healthcare professionals, we're often having really similar conversations with patients on repeat. Um, And I think you're right. It's possibly just because a lot of that really basic information is missed at school.
I guess to start off with, what are the kind of different ways that people can think about contraception? Yeah, that, that's a good question because there are quite a few different ways of categorizing what contraception options are available. So I kind of loosely go into five categories, which I'll just quickly list off for you. So mine are um, long-acting contraception, um, which includes implant IUD, um, which is intrauterine device, uh, and sometimes we put the, the injection in there as well. My second category is tablet, so contraceptive pills. Third one is barrier contraception. So as the title says, it's anything that provides a barrier. So that's generally condoms. My fourth category is natural methods. And my fifth category is permanent contraception. So that's great. There's five kind of main categories. I guess something that's really important to a lot of women I see in my work is um, hormonal versus non-hormonal. There seems to be a trend at the moment that people really want to avoid hormonal medications. So for those listening who that might be important to, which which ones are hormonal and which ones are non-hormonal? Yeah, I have to admit that I've seen a massive shift towards women going um, away from hormonal contraception as well for a number of reasons. If we look at sort of natural methods of contraception, we're, we're largely looking at things like the fertility awareness method, which is again something that's gaining quite a lot of traction at the moment, which is where women will track their cycle so that they know where in their menstrual cycle that they are fertile and in that case we'll avoid sex at that time. That's not foolproof unfortunately because it does rely on a woman being quite in tune with their system and you know unfortunately we can't actually predict a lot of the time when a woman will truly be fertile or not fertile but it is a method that suits quite a lot of people. If we were looking at like an actual contraceptive device then the non-hormonal version that I most commonly prescribe and use is the copper IUD which is a small um, device that sits inside the uterus it's got absolutely no hormones in it and it's just the actual copper in the device itself that works as a contraception yeah and I guess condoms as well would be another yeah, additional absolutely. one that doesn't technically have any hormones but also has some limitations I guess but we will discuss those as I said in a bit more detail yeah, down the track yeah. and I guess for some people too it's a bit different because it's not really a device as such but per, like surgical contraception would be another option but not obviously appropriate for absolutely everyone if you're planning on having children down the track so. yeah yeah permanent yeah. contraception absolutely which includes the vasectomy for men or tying off the tubes or clipping the tubes for a woman it tends to be something that women uh use further down the track when their families are complete but yeah as you said it, it's non-hormonal so for some couples that that's a really a good option for them when they're sure that they're not wanting to have any more kiddies added to the family so for those who don't want hormones and maybe want kids one day it's condoms natural methods or copper id correct yeah and then everything else does have hormone in some some it does, yeah. Yep. <laughs> in terms of there's this new kind of newish concept of larks or long acting reversible contraceptives and you've already mentioned that a little bit what is included in that kind of category yeah that um i'm i'm quite a fan of long acting contraceptions the name says it all really um it's because they work over a longer period of time 
I often refer to them as fit and forget contraceptions. So once we fit the um, device and it starts working, it, it can cover a woman for a long period of time. In New Zealand, we have three different categories of long-acting contraception or LARCs. We have the intrauterine devices, which are either the copper one or a hormone-based one. Then we also have the implant, which in New Zealand is called the Jadel, and that's um, two small rods that are inserted under the skin yeah, on the arm. Yeah, that's interesting, because in <laughs> Australia it's called Implanon, and there's only one. One, isn't it? And it's firm, yeah. isn't it? Whereas ours are bendy, because I've taken a few out for women who've had it put in in Australia and then come over here, and I've always been quite fascinated to see that difference. Yeah. Um, ours yeah. last for five years, the Jadel, but I believe right. the Implanon's three in Australia. Three, is that yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's um, always something they warn us about. Like if you have a patient from New Zealand who's coming to get their implant yeah. taken out, check for the second don't one because we don't have it. Yeah, exactly. So true. <laughs> um, we also actually include the Depo-Provera injection in long-acting contraception um, and that lasts 12 weeks. So some people don't include that, but it's given at the appointment and then is not required to do anything women's not needed to do anything until the 12 week mark where she needs to come back to have another yeah. injection yeah and i guess yeah. one of the really great advantages about these types of contraception as you mentioned fit and forget or set and forget people say over here yeah. um <laughs> you literally don't have to remember to take a pill you don't have to you know remember to use a condom insert a diaphragm do any of that stuff so it just removes i guess a lot of the human error so they tend to be a lot more effective at preventing pregnancy than other types absolutely and they're so good for women who may be going overseas to travel or who may be studying at university or a job or something like that where they're pretty sure that they don't want to start a family they don't want to unplanned pregnancy so they get that added little bit of assurance and they just know that it's going to be effective over a period of time without them having to have much input, as you said. So that's why they are so good. And, and you know, they range from anywhere from three up to 10 years. The, one of our copper IEDs here lasts for 10 years, which is pretty awesome, really, um, yeah, to get coverage good. for that long if that's what you want. So yeah. yeah. And I guess for some people that might feel a bit nervous about you know five years feels like a long time you can change your mind and have it taken out earlier it's not like because absolutely. it's in there it has to stay there so yes. if you want a baby you can change your mind absolutely you mentioned it's mostly condoms that provide protection against stis so they're kind of the only thing that is both a contraceptive and sti prevention yeah. a lot of people don't know that there's two kind of condoms out there or two general types can you tell us a bit about the two types yeah so we we've historically had three types actually of barrier contraception anyway we had the the male condom uh as well as the female condom um yeah. and then a diaphragm as well but diaphragms are not subsidized in new zealand anymore so we don't prescribe them um and they're a small cap that a woman could fit over the cervix um, yeah. But we do we do have male condoms available, obviously here, and female condoms are available for women to use. But they do have to access them online; they can't be prescribed, which is a bit tricky. But it just gives mm -hmm. that woman the opportunity to take that decision into her own hands if she, um, you know, wants to use that barrier 
contraception. Yeah. So yeah, those are the, the three main types really. Yeah. And I guess for those people who don't identify as, you know, cis male, cis female, we can also use language like internal or external condoms Absolutely. as well, I suppose, just to um, yeah, because I feel like a lot of the language we use around contraception can be quite alienating for some people in the community. So, yeah, I think I feel like as health professionals, it's something that we're very slowly getting better at. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's tough, isn't it? Yeah, it's tricky, too, because I think a lot of the resources reflect that as well, that they, they need mm. to be updated. They need to change because not everyone identifies with binary, yeah, strictly female or strictly male gender so you're, you're right absolutely internal external and I think hopefully we'll start getting those resources updated and health professionals using the right terminologies and words yeah. and things just so that people do all people feel comfortable accessing what they need and what works for them yeah one of the hard things about the internal condoms is the cost you find, are they really expensive in new zealand they are and you do have to purchase them online and i believe that they come from overseas so there's shipping and things like that and obviously there's a delay for mm. them to get here so they can be slightly tricky to um mm access and also I found that some people that were using the internal condoms weren't 100% sure how to fit them as well so I think without mm. having that stepping stone in between of someone you know having a chat to you about them sometimes just using them effectively can be quite difficult as well because you sort of just get sent them in the post and nothing else. And you mentioned so diaphragm's not super available in New Zealand at mm. the moment I think I mean, it's quite similar in Australia. There is the Kaya or Kaya. I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but it's like a cervical cap diaphragm kind of device. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's. I've been trying to find people who use all these different types of contraception for this podcast yeah. and finding someone that uses the diaphragm is really challenging. I know there's people out there, but it's certainly not one of the popular options anymore. And so you've mentioned too that one way of thinking about contraception is like natural me methods first. I guess, not natural methods. Within that umbrella of natural methods, what are the different kind of types that people can use or? Yeah, as mentioned before, we've got the sort of the fertility awareness method, which again is just knowing when you're more fertile and that involves a woman sort of tracking um, her cervical mucus and things like that to sort of take note of when she's likely to get pregnant. There is another method called the withdrawal method, which is where a male um, or where the penis is withdrawn bef um, before he ejaculates. Um, and that is one method that is used by quite a lot of people as well. And obviously its effectiveness varies. Some people too rely on something called lactation amenorrhea which is when you're yeah. breastfeeding and not having periods yet and certainly I guess after you have a baby you know within the first 21 days you're probably not going to be able to get pregnant but just I guess a word of warning with lactation amenorrhea you need to be exclusively breastfeeding and um, you can't obviously if you're having any period of vaginal bleeding you can't really rely on it after that point but again it can be uh have a lot of error in that method too similarly yeah. to the withdrawal method because as we know you can have um, sperm in the pre-ejaculate and things Absolutely. like that so yeah i guess of those ones the fam the fertility awareness method is probably the most reliable Absolutely. but again i think it 
it takes, I mean, I feel like I personally couldn't do it because you have to kind of do the calendar thing where you monitor your cycles every month and you have to check your cervical mucus and your basal body temperature every day. And for someone that's a shift worker or if you travel a lot, those things aren't always that practical. So yeah, as you said, I think they're really great for some people and for people that they work well for, but not for absolutely everyone. Yes, and that's why it's so good to have, I guess, so many different options now as well because we hope that we can at least match something that fits with someone's preferences or or ideas or needs. So, yeah, I agree. I would be terrible at fertility awareness (laughs) method, but I absolutely know some people who live it and and really love it and and it's perfect. And have great success with it too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, obviously, one thing that people are a bit concerned about or interested in when they are choosing a type of contraception is how effective it's going to be. Can you just explain how we actually compare how effective one contraceptive is to another? Yeah. So we kind of measure how effective contraception is by how often it fails to protect a woman against an unplanned pregnancy. So each contraception method or, or option will have a failure rate, for example, if we say the Jadel, um, which is the contraceptive implant in New Zealand, it has a failure rate of less than 1%. So this means that less than 1 in 100 women will get pregnant while they're using the implant for, for each year they have it in. There is something called the Pearl Index, which is the number of contraceptive failures per 100 women years of use. So again, we use that term of how effective it is, is is ability for contraception to prevent pregnancy. That is with perfect use. And again, it's something that we use when we're looking at the clinical trials. But yeah, basically in a nutshell, how effective a contraception is, is by um, how small its failure rate is. Yeah. And yeah, it's great that you mentioned that we're always looking at the, I guess, perfect or ideal circumstances, first of all, to see, in theory, how good is this contraceptive? But we know with a lot of things like condoms or even the pill, there's room for a lot of human error. So we also sometimes look at the typical efficacy as well. Yeah. And they're not always that close to each other, are they? Like sometimes for the pill, for example, it's like, 99 or 98% effective yeah. but in real life it's like 91 92 percent so, yeah it drops a wee yeah bit. like it really speaks I guess to how I mean people life is crazy and yeah. you know people travel people work people do night shift one day and day shift another day like there's so many variables and yeah I guess that's one of the great advantages of the long acting ones that it just means you don't have to think about those things so. absolutely yeah Yep, and once they're fitted, they're being used perfectly. So um, it makes sense that those ones are more effective. But again, like you said before, I have some people that are using the pill that are just amazing pill takers and never missed a pill in their life. So, um, but your life can get busy and in the way. So you can see how the odd missed pill or taken late or something like that would, would effectively bring their effectiveness down yeah just on the pill i guess here in Mm. australia the pill and condom still tend to be kind of the two most popular forms of contraception that people use is that the same in new zealand do you think it is actually yeah as of march last year um the most commonly used contraception in new zealand is the combined oral contraceptive pill so the pill with both estrogen and progestogen in it so that is our most popular and has been for some time 
Yeah. I wonder if that's um, just because it's been around for so long, people's sisters, mums, grandmothers even have maybe used it, like people are familiar with it. Do you think that comes into it? Yeah, I absolutely think that. And, and I, I remember having a chat with someone one day and they said it's just such a easy, convenient option for a lot of women. Women will come in and say, I want the pill. They can walk out the door with a prescription that day and be started. Um, yep. And that I think a lot of, it seems to be a current trend in New Zealand that a lot of women think that the pill is possibly the only real option out there for them because they're not aware of the mm. other options. Or maybe just because it's the most convenient option for them and their you know, nurse or doctor at that time as well. So yeah, like I said, I am a fan of the longer acting and I think there are other options out there that suit some women better and that's why I think we need to have more awareness of it people mm. know that there are more options than just the pill if the pill's not something that's going to suit them yeah yeah so even if you're aware of all the options and still choose the pill that's great as long Absolutely. as it's your choice yeah. and you know that what else is out there totally yeah and do you know kind of worldwide is it still the same yeah like, is so the pill I, still the most popular I, worldwide I had a little look at of um there's a really good report released last year from United Nations which looks at um, contraception use around the whole world. And I was actually quite surprised to find that um, permanent female sterilization, so clipping or tying the tubes in women, is the most commonly used contraception worldwide. Oh, wow. I know. And that's mainly because of Latin America and Central and Southern Asia have really, really high rates of tubal ligation or female sterilization. So 24% yeah. of women worldwide actually rely on sterilization as contraception. And then that's followed by the condom. So that's around, they estimate around 189 million women. That's quite a lot. Mm -hmm. Then the IUD and then in fourth place is the pill with 150 wow. million women using the pill. So yeah, I, I was actually quite surprised to see that. But yeah, I think each country obviously follows different trends and I certainly noticed that the IUD seemed to be becoming more popular in certain countries. Um, but I yeah. guess trends are different for each country. They have, have different ideas about contraception, different preferences and things. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah I always find it interesting because the clinic um, that I work at is publicly funded and um, people don't need a Medicare card to come there. So mm. uh, we get a lot of students from overseas or people who are traveling to Australia and just pop in for contraception or sexual health screening or whatever. And I find like a lot of people from European countries tend to all have some kind of long acting reversible contraceptive, like it seems to be super popular over there. So I guess yeah. it's just what you get familiar with and what your friends use and what people are comfortable to try. Yeah, and I think quite a lot of countries move towards funding, completely funding a long-acting contraception for, for young women. Um, and that probably impacted on a lot of women as well, just being able to give that opportunity to, to have something that was completely funded. Um, I think that probably impacted a lot. And I yeah, read a little bit about some countries, especially in Europe, that were doing that. And I think that's, that's a good move. It's been a good move. Yeah, for sure. I guess any barrier we can remove to contraception is helpful. Yeah. Yes. So I guess for those listeners who maybe they're already using a type of contraception and are thinking about changing or have never used a type of contraception before, what are some good things that they should kind of think about before they go to see their doctor? Yeah, I, I used to be really surprised about how many women would come in and say, I want 
to start contraception, I want the pill. Um, and I would say, oh, awesome. Yep, we can totally jack that up. But did you know that there are other options out there? And I was blown away by how many women weren't aware of what other options were available. And I think if you're thinking about contraception and you're going to go see a doctor or your nurse to discuss that, then there is some really awesome websites out there that can give you a brief rundown of what's available in your you know country or your area so that's that's always nice but equally you know the doctors and nurses that you see should be trained to help you make the decision that um to choose an option that suits you best if possible it's quite handy if a, if a woman comes in knowing a little bit about their medical background or knows the names of any medications that they might be on or if they've been on any types of contraception before and also it's a bit of a stretch but some women if they know a little bit about their medical conditions that run through their family that can sometimes be quite handy to know as well. Some other things I was kind of thinking about uh, and this one probably seems really stupid but what would a pregnancy mean to me right now and I think for some people it's obviously not now not ever for some people it's like oh in a few years and for some people it's like well I'm not actively trying but if it happened I'd be okay with it so there's a really broad spectrum and that's a good thing to think about as well and I think just kind of reflecting on the practicalities of your own life like as I've, I've used this example a few times already but I used to like I would go from a week of day shifts to a week of night shifts to a week of evenings and taking something at the same time every day is not always that practical for everyone so I guess just having some reflection about that as well is good yeah absolutely yep and yeah I totally agree having a good understanding of what your general health is like and yeah those in your family if there's any significant medical things going on that's always really helpful because at the end of the day it's your choice but your doctor or nurse is really trying to tailor a safe option for you so yeah lots of things to think about yeah (laughs) so when it comes to contraception what kind of factors do you think influence the decisions people make with this I think that the internet has to be one of the biggest (laughs) external factors that impact choices about contraception and and unfortunately not always for good reasons there's there's a lot of myths out there about contraception and sometimes it does make it hard to challenge someone on a belief that they have which is based on something from Facebook or something from the internet but um, but equally, mm. it's a really good forum to get um, factual and useful and information out there as well. So I think what a woman's um, ideas are based on what they've read about, that's obviously a big external factor for their decision making. Uh, another one is cost. Mm. Having the pill means you have to come back every three to six months. And that means paying for repeat prescriptions and paying for the pill itself. So um, it may suit someone to have a one-off appointment to get an IUD or an implant put in, pay the cost of that and know that they're covered for you know up to five years if they want. Um, so cost is a big one. Um, life plans, as I said earlier, if, you, if someone's going off to study or travel or something like that, then they may find that a longer-acting contraception is going to suit them better. It protects them over a longer period of time. Accessibility is a big one. I think not all um, areas of New Zealand or even you know worldwide women don't always have access to Mm. regular care Um, and again that may mean something like a fit and forget could be more suitable they have the one or two appointments and know that they're not having to 
try and get regular continued access to a clinic because they may live rurally or far away. And then two other things I thought of was mainly what your friends and family members have. You know, what experiences both good and bad they've had can often have a bearing on someone's choice. Yeah, um, I find that one can be really powerful, actually. Like a, a lot of people are like, oh, my sister had the implant on and she had a bad experience, so I'm not absolutely. going to even think about it. And that's totally. f- that's fine. I, I do imagine it's really hard to kind of think really logically, I guess, if you know somebody that's had quite a bad experience. So I do I do get where people are coming from with that. And in the same, I guess, sentiment, people who have a family member or friend that really love something I feel like that makes them much more likely to try it. To try it, absolutely, I agree, yeah. I I seem to see that quite a lot with, like, mothers who, you know, something's worked really well for them, so they're quite keen for their daughters to try it. So, you know, because it's worked for them. And I guess another thing would just be someone's cultural beliefs or ideas around contraception. Um, Some women I've met don't like the idea of having a foreign body inside inside Mm. the uterus or under the skin. So they sort of shy away from that or equally some women don't like the idea of not having a regular monthly period Um, and some of the contraceptions can either stop bleeding completely or or impact on that cycle. So that can affect a woman's choice as well. For sure. Yeah. And and lastly would be privacy. Um, Some younger women um, don't like necessarily want other people to know what they're using or um, so privacy and convenience, something that is somewhat concealed like an implant or IUD might suit someone better as opposed to accidentally leaving a pill packet around or something. Yeah, definitely. And I, yeah, I love that you brought that up because I think it's so important, not only for young people, as you mentioned, but also, um, sadly, and we were going to talk about this later, but we may as well talk about it now. Um, there's this whole concept of reproductive coercion, which is kind of like one of many manifestations of domestic violence or intimate partner violence where, women are either kind of forced to have more children than they would like themselves or they're forced not to have children. You know, it's some kind of control over your reproductive capacity. And I think for the same reasons in some of those situations, having a really easily disguisable form of contraception is really helpful. Basically when someone takes the power and control of decision-making off a woman, and, and that even includes interfering with their use or access to contraception as well. It can come from partners, but also parents can yeah. can also be involved in that. Um, it is a really well-known and serious public health issue, as you said, and it is highly correlated with intimate partner violence. So if you were sort of worried that this could be something that was happening to you, or if you were worried that maybe it was happening to a friend or family members, I sort of think there's a few questions that you could ask yourself or ask them. Um, so it would be if you if anyone had ever tried to hide or damage your contraception has a partner ever taken a condom off during sex or refused to use one has your partner tried to get you pregnant or talked about getting you pregnant when it's something that you didn't want are you fearful of a situation where um, someone would find your contraception and how they would react to that do you find you have to hide it um, or hide your, your use of it from your partner has anyone ever told you that by getting pregnant that would prove your love for them or um, have you, I often say to, to young women, have you ever actually talked to your partner about what would happen in the case of an unplanned pregnancy? As you said earlier, you know, what are your, both of your thoughts and feelings on that? And are you on the same page? 
um, and that can often help if they haven't had that conversation maybe open up that dialogue or that can also be a sign. How old do you actually have to be to access contraception? Yeah well uh, technically anyone of any age has the right to access sexual health services information and advice the age of consent for sex in New Zealand is 16 but and there are quite a lot of different legal things about it but if a young woman came forward who needed contraception who's able to understand the advice that's given to her and it's in her best interest to receive that contraception then it can be and should be prescribed to her regardless of her age yeah and sadly I think that's just another barrier that sometimes stops young people from accessing contraception because they think that they it won't be given to them yeah. or that they have to have a parent with them or that kind of thing. So, yeah, I just think it's so important that young people, well, everyone, but young people in particular who are potentially very vulnerable feel empowered that they can actually access this care. Yeah, absolutely. Tell your friends, tell your nieces, tell your yes. nephews, tell everyone they can access this. And so, like you yeah. said, you know, it's completely confidential. We don't tell their parents unless you know they're at harm they're at risk like you mentioned if someone is um hurting them or you know they're hurting them or they're hurting themselves or anything like that then we do have to break that confidentiality but you know a lot of the Mm. time they don't no one else needs to know and I often encourage um young women to open up the conversation with their parents but say look it's, it's not not something that you have to do but you should think about it because you sometimes you might be quite pleasantly surprised about how Mm. some people take it so yeah it's it's an interesting thing yeah this again probably sounds like a really silly question but what do you think the advantages are of family planning for people so yeah it's a really good question I think you know I looked at some statistics and there's 922 million women of reproductive age um, around the world who are using contraception so you know obviously there's something they're onto something there but there's a few main reasons it just gives women choice it gives women and couples Mm. the chance to plan when they'd like to start a family or if they even want to start a family gives them the choice to space out timing between children if they want to wait for the next one it allows women to be sexually active while protecting themselves against an unplanned pregnancy if they're traveling or studying Um, and also helps people decide or choose when their family is complete so it, it really is a lot of it is around choice obviously another great thing about contraception is it does protect women who may be unwell or who have health conditions where they would become more unwell or they would have complications to the pregnancy should they fall pregnant um, women on certain types of medications such as some acne medication or blood pressure medication which can be quite harmful to a developing pregnancy. So, you know, using contraception is obviously really great for that because it just um, adds that level of protection. Um, yeah. And yeah, planned pregnancies always lead to better outcomes for, for mum and the, and the bub. So contraception largely at the end of the day just gives a woman or a couple or family a choice as to, as to timing of when, when pregnancy can occur. And that seems to end up with better outcomes for the baby as well as for the mum so yeah yeah. so when yeah I guess when used voluntarily it's a very powerful and good tool that yeah gives women choice it's great absolutely and and something that I've become really interested in recently is more actually the impact of contraception as far as um climate and the planet and you Mm. know more and more couples are actually choosing not to have children 
um, it, it, we are obviously under some strain um, with resources with being overpopulated. So contraception does a, a sort of allow some couples the option to not have children. Um, and also, I guess, it protects women who um, may not want to have any more children, again, looking at more the overpopulation sort of thing, so they can sort of finish their family after a couple of children instead of when they're not unprotected and sometimes having multiple pregnancies in quick succession, which can obviously put a strain on both the women um, and limited sort of resources worldwide so yeah I think that's yeah, that's a new sure. area that's quite interesting and I think there'll be a bit more coming out about that over the next coming mm-hmm. years I'd say. Now we've covered a lot and it's probably hard to retain all of this information <laughs> yes. what resources or what resource do you kind of recommend to your patients or people who are interested in doing more reading about this kind of stuff? Yeah, I find in New Zealand in particular, but you can access this from Australia, obviously, is the website familyplanning.org.nz. So that's org.nz. And um, that's one of my favourite online resources for women because, um, for everyone actually, because it's just got really great, easy to understand information, um, nothing too long or wordy. Um, there's pictures, there's um, videos, it's just mixed media and, and it covers literally everything sexual health related but has really good coverage of all the different contraception options um, down to how do I take my pill. So um, I really like that one and, and I'll send you through that to put on the show notes and there are a few other ones that I'll list but that's generally my, my go-to one. Yeah, I we have... Obviously, it's family planning here as well. So we have a New South Wales version that I, you know, for the same reasons, I recommend to my patients a yeah. lot because it is just succinct and, um, yeah, it's it's good. I will link some resources in the show notes if anyone is interested in reading further. And if you have any questions or comments about anything we've chatted about today, please feel free to join our Facebook group. And we also have an Instagram. Thanks so much for joining me, Greta. It's been great. Thank you, Hannah, and thank you for um, doing this podcast. I'm so excited to hear all the other podcasts that you put together. I think it's such a cool (laughs) resource, so well done, and thank you. You to You, You to Me, You to Us is a podcast for general discussion only. Nothing we talk about should be taken as personal medical advice and it does not substitute information or instructions given to you by your own doctor. If the podcast raises any questions or concerns for you, please see your GP, sexual health or family planning clinic. For general discussion, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. And please, stop trusting strangers on the internet with your health. This podcast is a production of Simo Interactive, home of the My Millennial Money podcast. Money podcast.